night. Good morning. How are you? I'm Lance, pastor here at Falls Church, and uh, we have been allowing the journeys of David, who is soon to be King David, to guide our weekly studies, and we've been moving through 1 Samuel. I'm not sure what week we're on. It doesn't really matter. Each message um, stands independently. You won't be out of the loop. Uh, this week is the continuing saga of the chronicles of the future King David. He, David and his men are on the run. Last week, my, my subtitled message was banned on the run, if you were here. And uh, now they're still on the run because King Saul, in his je- jealous rage, knowing that God has anointed David to be the next king and that his rule is going to come to an end, he's trying to take matters into his own hands. He's trying to secure his legacy, keep control, and he's trying to uh, you know, ha- kill David. Whenever Saul catches wind where David and his men are, he sends his best snipers out uh, to assassinate David. And David has been anointed and prophetically told he will become the new king, but his ascension to the throne takes a matter of years to unfold. And Saul is obsessed at where, we, where we left off in 1 Samuel chapter 23, and I'll be moving into chapter 24 today. Saul's obsessed with killing David. But of course, the Lord makes David as elusive as a snow leopard. 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 1, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert at En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000, and as you remember last, if you, uh, the only thing I'll mention is there were 400 men with David, approximately that much. So here's 3,000, so not quite 10 times, but you know, uh, way outnumbered. So Saul takes 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the craigs of the wild goats, an area where there were lots of rocks and caverns and little caves. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. And all the guys went, you know. David and his men were far back in the cave. And some of the young people were like, does it really talk about that in the Bible? The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke to you when he said, I'll give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Can you think of anything more vulnerable than being in a place where you're going to the bathroom and your enemies uh, suddenly surround you? Then David crept up unnoticed and he cut off a corner of Saul's robe. David's few hundred men are hiding and they know the armies are uh, almost ten times more than them are pursuing them, and David and his men are hiding in the cave when the king comes in there to take a royal dump. I don't know. Just, I like, anyway. It's true. And David's men said, this is it. This is the word the Lord spoke, that God will give your enemies into your hands. Kill him. Grab him. At least let's take him and capture him and shame him or torture him. We could scare the crap out of him. Too late for that. Sorry, Brian. Joan's not here, so there'll be a little potty humor today. <laughs> she's, she's, she'll be back tonight. She's on a trip for business till tonight. Afterwards, verse 5, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off the corner of the robe. It doesn't really explain why, but was he getting a little cocky and, you know, and, and kind of showing off in that moment? That's what it kind of seems like. But he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. 
the Lord's anointed, or lay a hand on him, for he is anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David sharply rebuked the men and did not allow them to attack Saul, and Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out to the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord and King! And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down, prostrate, prostrated himself with his face to the ground. And Saul said, uh, he said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said I will not lay a hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at the piece of your robe in my hand. Remember, he's married his daughters. He's, that's his father-in-law too, the king. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there's nothing in my hand to indicate that I'm guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting, hunting me down to kill me. It's frustrating when you're trying to live at peace and someone has it out for you. It usually stems from jealousy. Saul was jealous of what was being said about him. And it unveils the person who is jealous, their insecurities about who they are, who they think they are, how they feel about themselves. What is your response when undeserved attacks come your way? David is actually living out the teachings of Jesus uh, decades before Jesus' arrival. He's living, Paul will, will talk about that in part two of this, but but. Verse 27 goes on, but to you who are listening, I'm sorry, this is Luke chapter 6, Jesus' words, I wanted to mention that, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Are you there? Where are we at there? Can you jump there? Luke chapter 6? Yep, next one, there we go. But to you, to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. These are radical, these are normal church concepts that are radical to the to believers today. Can you imagine? Someone smacks you in the face and you turn to them the other cheek. You know, and I'm not talking about that cheek either, okay? That you wouldn't... Not punch them back. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. If they steal your personal possessions, let them get away with it. If someone, give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. That's easy. And if you do good to those who are good to you, pfft, well, that, that's not hard. Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to those uh, uh, ungrateful and, and wicked people. God is even kind to wicked and ungrateful people. 
People who he has given life and breath. He's given them the stars and the moon and, and the fields, and the mountains to glory. And, and yet some people walk, and they never thank God for it, right? They never acknowledge him. They use, use, use. They take, take, take. They want, they want, they want, and they never say thankful. And God still continues to bless them with sunshine. He reigns on the just and the unjust. The just farmer, his crops grow, but the sinner next door, his crops grow too. One gives credit to God and the other uh, uh, ignores him. It's hard to do in a world in a world of people that will take advantage of you, right? You'll hear people say, well, you're acting like a sucker, you know? What are you letting them do that for, to you for? If some of us were in charge of the universe, if some of us were, were writing the commands, it would probably go a little more like this. When someone is deliberately a jerk to you, don't let them get away with it. When someone uses you and doesn't bring your stuff back, never lend anything to them again. When someone lies to you, never trust him or her again. When someone smacks you in the face, get a lawyer. Lawyer up. You know, you got rights. You're going to get something. Because our world is messed up. It makes the kingdom of God and the words of Jesus like this seem like bizarro world. Who, who can live like that in, in today's hostility, in this, in this culture of get what you can, of get yours while you still can? And if some of us were in charge and making the rules, we'd probably do things differently than God. We might have rules like this. When someone rants on social media and takes a cheap shot at you, unfriend them. Bloop. When someone honks at you and freaks out at you on the road and gives you the bird, giveth to them the double bird. <laughs> when your spouse messes up and has an affair, get revenge. And sleep with whoever you want. When someone loses their temper and acts like a complete jerk to you, rude to you, make sure you point out their lousy attitude and give them a taste of their own medicine, ripping them a new one. And when someone talks about your life and embarrasses you or lets out some of your private information that was no one else's business, then... Let some people know some of the secrets you know about them and some of the decisions that they've made and some of the stuff they have in their past. See, the road that David travels on is so different than the normal road of pride and prejudice in American culture. But the Spirit of Jesus is calling us to a higher place. Or maybe better said, a lower place, a more humble place, a place where we can love our enemies, do good to those who hate you, 
bless those. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Seems pretty easy on the notes of a sermon. But when somebody literally assaults you, when they really threaten you or your family, when they freak out in your face, most likely will react. We might even strike back. And then we'll look for those who will console us. You had a right to fight back. You had a right to get even with them. You should learn to use the art of the counterpunch. The Spirit of Jesus is calling a generation of people that are peacemakers in a hostile world. And it's going to be a challenge. And you're going to need the Spirit of God to help you walk through on these words of Jesus. But I'll promise you, you'll get more chances than you ever would want to have to walk this out in your life. And can I be honest? There's not a lot of people living like this. It's upside down in this world, but it's the way God said it could be, it should be. You stand with me? Lord, as we worship together, thank you for changing us, being patient with us. We're not there yet. We got a, a ways to go. And these words of Jesus, these are, these are hard words. When stuff comes flying our way, we're, we're Holy Ghost ninjas sometimes reacting all, uh, incredibly in all these different ways. And, and yet, Jesus, when you were led up the road, when you were whipped and beaten and led to the cross, you said nothing. The, the word says you were silent like a sheep led to the slaughter. And may your spirit be on us that we can know, have the spiritual knowledge to know when not to respond is one of the most powerful things we could ever do. David attempts to work some things out. He has an opportunity. Uh, the king has exposed himself literally in front of David in a very vulnerable position. And instead, David takes this opportunity to try to have an upfront conversation. Why? You, you know, why are you, why are you acting this way? Verse 12, he says, May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you've done to me, but my hand will not touch you. You've taken away my home. You've taken away my wives. You've endangered my family. My family's in hiding as well. My brothers and sisters, my mom and dad, have left their home near the castle. They're hiding in the cave with me. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds. So my hand will not touch you. This is an old saying. It's so old that, you know, 3,000 years ago it was an old saying. David's saying, 
I'm not going to allow evil to leak out of me. Even though the pressures, even though all the things you've done to me, you've tried to strangle me, you've thrown spears my direction, and, and I have every right to lash out back to you. But David is aware what leaks out of your life shows what is in your heart. And he's declaring, I'm not going to love God and worship God and say I'm dedicated to Him and He is my strong tower and He is my avenger and then allow hatred to drive me, to allow darkness to swallow up the light. See, the Apostle Paul writes about this. And he walked on the earth during hateful and unruly times. And when he made the dynamic challenge to love your enemies, it wasn't cheap talk. Romans killed for fun. They threw Christians into the arena to battle the, without weapons, uh, fierce gladiators and ferocious lions and, 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 and man-eating animals. And they... Hundreds of some, I think some of the Colosseums were 50 to 100,000 people that would watch. It was the first reality TV for entertainment. And they would often throw the Christians out there and watch them be devoured. Jews were allowed to stone people like Paul, who said that Jesus was God's son. Acts chapter 7 will, will verify that, that Stephen testified of the Lord Jesus Christ to who he was and the religious folks grabbed the stones and cast them at him and he died in a bloody pool of water and blood and mess of... But when Paul says in Romans 12, this is my point, it's not cheap talk. He says, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, Faithful in prayer and share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Now, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Don't act like you're better than other people. Verse 17, do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, and if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do your best, do your part to be a peacemaker. Verse 19, don't, don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, he, he says this, he says, not only don't repay evil for evil, not only don't take it into your own hands, but listen, he says, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When was the last time you planned to bless someone that you think doesn't like you? Or can't, or you can't stand them? And your mother-in-law doesn't count. I happen to love my mother-in-law. She's really great. As I was writing this message, you know, sometimes um, 
I try to reflect on my own life and try to be transparent when I can. I couldn't think of one time in the last years when I had intentionally tried to bless someone who had wounded me. And I had more than a few opportunities. And maybe you get tripped up. I know I, I do it sometimes. I get tripped up by the word enemies. Like, I don't have any enemies, people I want dead, you know. I'm not in a warfare, I'm not in a war situation on the front lines. But basically, Paul, a Jesus follower, understands hatred. Paul understood prejudice at a level I have never experienced in my life and at a, at a time in history where threats against believers could be carried out, they could be covered up, and they could be overlooked by those in powerful positions if they wanted to. And I sometimes kind of think, like, I don't really have any enemies like that because I haven't suffered like some of our friends, like Esther in the prison cell in Rwanda. She's still got five and a half years of her seven-year sentence, Christian went to our church, went over there, shared her testimony, and then was accused of being an insurrectionist. I haven't experienced that. Or like the Christians tortured by radical Muslims around the world today. I'm a white guy who grew up in a white America. Paul, you were the first black guy I ever knew. And we were in the neighborhood in Rolling Hills together. Yeah, yeah. But don't let the word enemy take you into a military mindset because the word here is ekthros, ekthros. And it means men who are, have enmity with God by their sin. Men who oppose God in their minds. Now that opens, that makes a really broad sweep. Ekthros. Those who don't believe, those who hate God and don't like his followers, enemies of the cause of Christ. <laughs> I think we all know a lot of those people. And here is a challenge that you get the opportunity. You think, well, I would do that if I had an enemy trying to kill me. I'd try to be forgiving. Well, Friends, we are surrounded by a culture of people who could care less about God, who, could, who, could, who would be better off without having Christians around them. And here's a challenge that we can all attempt to do. Do something nice. Bless those who curse your God. Bless those who oppose the very values that you have held on to. Bless those who don't think like you do, who don't respect the things you do. That's a way more inclusive idea, isn't it? Not those that are trying to kill us, but those who don't like us or the God we serve. David has a clear and present danger here. A powerful ruler trying to kill him, and yet he speaks well of King Saul. He, he even blesses him and commits to watching over the guy who hates him and wants him dead and is trying to kill him, he says, I commit that when I'm king, I will watch over your family. Listen, David says, who's, 
Who have you come out against? Verse 14, who are you pursuing? A dead dog? David's like, I have nothing anymore. I'm out here living in a cave. I'm a flea. And may the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. And when David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? He married his daughter. This is his father-in-law. And he wept aloud. You're more righteous than I. He said, you've treated me well, but I've treated you badly. You've just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? But may the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Verse 21, now swear to me, David, swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave him his oath, and Saul returned home, but David and his men went back into their hiding spot. Pretty radical to commit to blessing those hostile towards God and us. Because the natural thing is to defend yourself. The natural thing is to prove that you had good motives, prove that you are right, prove that you didn't do anything, and how wrong they are, how cruel they are, how, how uh, 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 tainted they are. And the Apostle Paul went on to tell the Corinthian church, he said the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you've completely, you're completely defeated already. He says, why not rather be wronged? Why not be cheated? When was the last time you heard about someone being cheated and as a Christian you said to them, you know what? This is a really cool opportunity for you to just leave it in the hands of God and in his time, someday, somehow, some way, the Lord will probably correct that person in a more perfect way than you could ever dream. Because the Lord will not do more than they deserve, nor will he stop short. Like, we always have a hard time figuring out the line, don't we? Like, what should our response be? You know, how much back, how, how far back should we lash towards them? And then, I guess, when was the last time you heard someone getting ripped off, somebody cheated, and you said, let it go, leave it in the hands of the Lord. And, and may I suggest to you, friend, that you put together a little care package for this person and send it over to them just to bless them right after they ripped you off. Wow. Cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. And yet it's exactly what Jesus is saying should be normal. You become so much like the world with your rights and your independence and that you get respect and that you get fairness and that you're treated well and that you're honored. And yet Jesus didn't receive any of those things and he kept his mouth shut even all the way up to the cross. And we're all better for it. Because sometimes the most powerful thing you can do is nothing. But you don't do it as nothing out of weakness. 
You don't do it out of nothing because you don't have options. You do nothing to say, Lord, this is in your hands. I trust you. I trust you're going to take care of me. You're going to make things work out for me. I don't have to force this. Will you come help? We're going to end with communion. Well, this won't, this won't take real long. We're going to break bread together, and I want to challenge you through this communion to love those who you might feel hate you. Can I sneak one of those from your desk? Thank you. Just hold on to them, and we'll pray and take both of them, the, the, the symbol of the bread and the symbol of the cup at the same time. But I want to challenge you to love those who have given you no reason to love them. Matter of fact, they've given you reasons not to. To do good to those who make it hard on you. And when you're mistreated, don't, don't raise a fuss. Let your non-reaction be an offering to the Lord that you trust that God can avenge far better than we ever could. Can you trust Him? Can you lay down your earthly power, your, your incredible vocabulary, your understanding of the Scriptures that you could send them passage after passage and rebuke them and rebuke them? Or can you just simply lay down your agenda and walk the way Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. I know, you, I know what you'll hear. You'll hear, oh, you're just letting people walk all over you. You're just, let, you're just letting them get away with it. Friends, what you're doing is storing up grace and mercy over your life. What you're doing is making it so God doesn't have to punish you for all your errors because you've lived a life of grace and mercy and forgiveness. And you know what's going to come your way? Piles of grace. Piles of mercy, piles of forgiveness. Instead of you having to pay the price for all your wrongdoings, the grace of God will be over you. Wow. We just take a moment between you and the Lord because I believe the Holy Spirit is going to give you so many opportunities. So many opportunities to do something very powerful as unto the Lord that will look so weak. That will look on the surface as so ineffective. That may even appear on the surface as you're enabling that person. You're empowering them to do more. You're helping them out to just keep ripping people off and taking advantage of people. But I'm here to declare to you that Jesus said it was completely different than that. That's the way of the world. Repay evil for evil. Repay slam for slam. Disrespect for disrespect. But among you, so completely different. We thank you, Lord, for your body as we just... I'm going to let you just take the, 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 the cracker that's a symbol of, the, it's a symbol of bread and the cup on your own in just a microsecond. But as you do, 
you thank him that he gave his body for you? Would you thank him that he spilled his blood on the cross for you? And let it be a reminder of the life that Jesus lived, the words that he spoke, and influence the way that you speak and maybe the way you don't speak. In Jesus' name, will you take the bread and thank him for his body and, and drink of the cup and thank him for his blood in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Will you just stand with me? We need your help, Lord, to walk out the words of Jesus in these last great days as a different kind of people. In Jesus' name. And all the church said. You can find us online at Falls Church or by searching Facebook at facebook.com slash fallschurch.cc.